All right, we're going to do a little Bible study tonight. I figure it's Christmas time. I already mentioned how it's easy to get distracted, but there are some great things that we can talk about. And so uh, this is going to be part one. Next week, I'm going to finish up on this same area. Uh, but I want to teach some on the concept uh, of incarnation. Now, that is not condensed milk in the grocery store. Incarnation. And guys, if you have the slides, you can go ahead and post those. And uh, the next two Wednesday nights, we're going to talk about it. And I've simply uh, entitled it, The God Who Shows Up. I don't know about you, but I want God to show up in my life. I want Him to show up in some circumstances. And uh, that's probably the best way to put it. The God who shows up, and I put underneath there, why the incarnation of Jesus Christ is so important. You know, the Scripture tells us that... Uh, we're to be of sound doctrine. And I've told, told you this before, that sound doctrine doesn't mean perfect doctrine. It doesn't mean doctrine by which everyone has to or must agree. What sound means is healthy. Healthy. We're to be of healthy doctrine. And um, unfortunately, much of the church never gets taught any doctrine anymore. And the reason we don't teach doctrine is because everyone says it's, just, it's not relevant. It's not practical. Well, it's amazingly practical if it's done correctly. And so we're just not going on this ethereal goose chase in order to talk about some concept that is of no relevance to you. But I suspect by the time tonight's over and then certainly next week when it's over, you're going to find out that this is an incredibly relevant issue. Now, throw the next slide up, guys. Incarnation. What does the word incarnation mean? It means God who becomes man. Or God enfleshing Himself in human form. Now that's what Christmas is all about. You understand that, right? That God became man. Jesus Christ isn't just a good guy. He isn't just this notable philosopher. He isn't just this teacher that everybody... Which is really interesting to me how everybody, in order not to offend or to be, I guess, the last remnant of political correctness toward Christianity, they'll say Jesus was just an incredible teacher. <laughs> and I want to say is, if you only knew what he really said. Because he said some things that either makes him the Lord, or it makes him a lunatic, or it makes him a liar. And so Jesus is the incarnation of God himself. Jesus is God enfleshed. Now, in Isaiah 7.14, if you have your Bibles, um, this is a good night to practice opening them up and getting your fingers nimble. In Isaiah 7.14, this is what it says. This is what Isaiah prophesies. He says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means, literally, God with us. God with us. So this is pointing to the day Jesus is born and literally Jesus becomes God with us. Now, this is confirmed in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1 in the Christmas account. If you give me just a moment. Matthew 1, verse 18, it says the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And we know from Luke's gospel that an angel visited her. She was overshadowed by the Spirit. And, and God conceived his son inside of Mary. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus, of course, means Savior, for he will save the people from their sins, so that all this might be, done, might be fulfilled. Uh, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and then Matthew quotes that verse out of Isaiah 7, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. Now, <clears throat> I just want you to ponder for just a moment. It's good to ponder. Jesus, Jesus was God. In flesh, in human form. And this is really important. He, he, is a, he is a unique individual in the sense that there was no one else ever like him. No one will ever be just like him. He was 100% God. And yet at the same time, he was 100% man. He wasn't half God, half man. You know, that's the old Greek gods. You know, Zeus and... Apollos and all the Greek gods you hear about, they were part man, part God. But that was not Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. You say, how could it be 100 and 100? It's, that's a great question. That's why Paul called incarnation a mystery. He says, this is, you know, there's some mystery sometimes to the faith. I know we say to ourselves, how can that be? That doesn't make sense. Well, you know what? I'll go back to what God said when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways your ways. And the minute you force God into subscribing to your sense of rationality is the moment that you brought God down to your level. God can do anything He wants at any moment. Jesus was fully God, and He was fully man. Now, I was visiting with my son the other day, and um, it had been several years since I had a discussion in this area, but he finally had run across some, some websites and some discussion about what is called the emergent church. And he called me up on the phone, and we have these great, I think they're great discussions. When you can talk to your 25-year-old son and have these theological discussions, I mean, that just makes a pastor's dad's heart glad. I mean, we just we can sit there and talk for an hour on these great subjects. I always dreamed of that. And so we're talking on this great subject, and he's going through all this stuff that he's reading, and so we're working our way through this. And he said, Dad, can you believe this? I mean, they diminished the virgin birth. They, they don't believe that Jesus was really born of a virgin. They say that it really doesn't matter. And, and I just, as we were beginning to talk, and, and he understood this, but I just started to sort of lead him through all this. Because if you don't believe in things like a virgin birth, or you say, well, virgin birth doesn't really matter, can I just share this with you? The reason why the virgin birth matters is because if it's not true, then Scripture lies. And if it lies here, it could lie anywhere. Now, let's just say you can work with some error, and, 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 and you're wrong, but anyway, let's just say you can work with that. Then what you're saying is, is that Mary was promiscuous, and this promiscuous girl conceived a baby with another person illegitimately. She lies to everyone about it, including the son that was born to her, and leads her son to believe that he is God. And so he goes about telling everybody that he, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's telling everybody that he's God. And if that's the case, then we're building our faith on just this string of lies and misconceptions, are we not? 
So, so do you understand why all of a sudden incarnation becomes incredibly relevant? Because if Jesus is just another dude, then we're still in our sins. But if He's fully God and fully man, then He's the only one that has the ability to reconcile us back to God. And so I just want to share with you tonight in the few moments I have just seven important aspects. And you know me, on Wednesday night, I'm real good about ending on time. So I'm just going to talk about seven important aspects, why this incarnation is so important. All right, so write these down. It's, it's going to be very relevant. Number one, his incarnation provided for us an introduction. When you see Jesus, you see the face of God. All confusion about who God is has been cleared up in Jesus. If you ever wondered what the nature of God was, if you read the entire account of who Jesus was and is, you begin to understand the heart of God. Jesus literally introduces us full picture to who God is. And the reason this is important is because sometimes when people look at God in the Old Testament, they instantly go to, well, here he's killing everybody and he's wiping people out and he just seems like this harsh, hard God. And that's really not true either because they really haven't read their whole Old Testament. But, but just, just let's go to Jesus then and understand that Jesus is the perfect picture of both justice and mercy. You understand when they threw the adulterous woman before him and they were ready to throw stones at her. He didn't pick up a stone, obviously, and throw it at her too. He said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So he deals with all the stone throwers. And, and, and then he said, woman, where are your accusers? And then he looks at her and what does he say? Does he say, go and keep living in sin? No, he says, go and sin no more. So he was the perfect, perfect example of both justice and mercy, judgment and compassion. There were times, like in that same story, he's compassionate. And there are other times he sees the money changers in the temple and he takes time out of his busy day to construct a whip because he's about ready to have a, a whooping party. We'll just leave it at that. All right? So Jesus... Jesus just didn't fly off the handle. I mean, he thought about getting mad. So we got to understand that when you see Jesus, you're seeing, you're seeing the face of God. God, listen to me, God is not the cosmic cop who's ready to beat you at your first misstep. But at the same time, God is not this kind of tottering, dotering old grandpa whom you can just manipulate at your will and get your own way. He is full, the scripture says, of both grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So Jesus, the reason incarnation is important, he introduces us to what God looks like. Number two, his incarnation demonstrates an investment. God had options when it came to redemption. He could have wiped us all out. Is it not true? When Adam and Eve sinned, he could have just blown the whole thing up and said, well, let's just start over again. But instead, what did he do? He invested himself through that incarnation in our redemption. You know, many of you know, I have a cat and a dog at my house now. I've told all my cat stories. Toulouse is now 10 years old and it has to deal with my new puppy, Pugan, who is just not quite two years old. Old cat, young dog. Wish I had cameras for some of the moments we experience in our house. You've heard my stories about how my cat had a bad eye. I've spent literally probably thousands of dollars on that cat. Repairing that eye that to this day probably still doesn't work right. Thousands of dollars. I got this puppy 
This puppy, who was only supposed to be six pounds, which is now 16 pounds, who doesn't eat dog food, we won't even go there, costing me hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Some of you have animals, and, and isn't that true? I mean, think, when the cat had a bad eye, you, you know, I could have just said, I don't like the cat, I'll put the cat down, let's just put the cat down, and I'll get me a new cat. Or if the dog wasn't what I wanted and it didn't turn out right or he has an accident on the carpet, he isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing, I could. I could just you know, put him down. I just don't want to deal with it. I'll get me a new dog. But that's not what happens in most of our households. Why is that? It's because there's an investment, not just in your dollars and your bank account, but there's an investment of the heart that takes place. And you know what? That's interesting because, because when the master makes investments, then it matters. And that master made an investment in us through his son, through that incarnation. Number three, his incarnation reveals that he initiates. God initiates. All these things are really relevant. It was God who decided when the time was right and when all was in order, the scripture tells us. He says when all was when the, in the fullness of times is how the scripture puts it. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. God decided when the time was right. He decided when everything was in order. It was God who reached out to us. And it's a really important thing that you know this. And that is not that you somehow found God one day. I like, you've heard me say this before, the old bumper stickers that used to say, I found God. I never did like them because God wasn't lost. You were. God found you. And the moment he found you and began knocking at your heart's door, that was an indicator that it was he who was initiating. He reached out to us. He sent Jesus to us. We were clueless. We, we didn't know how to reach God. Do you understand? There were several thousand years that took place before Jesus showed up. And yes, God revealed some things and the Jewish people implemented some things. But do you understand how convoluted and crazy it had become? And all of it turned out that way because we were trying to figure out how do we reach out to to God until finally God said, let, let me, I'm, I'm reaching out to you and I'm sending my son. So you aren't trying to grab God. You need to respond to him grabbing you. And that's why we should never put God on hold. A lot of people think, well, I'll just I'll make, I'll make my decision later in life or I'll make my decision on another day. Listen, you don't know. How, how do you know that you're going to have another day? And how do you know that God's going to be reaching that day? Do you think he just is obligated to reach all the time? Whenever he's knocking at your heart's door, that's the moment you need to reach out and grab for him. That's why incarnation is important. Number four, his incarnation, I put down here, was an intervention. Now, I, I think for some people, it's an interruption. Jesus interrupted people's lives. Now, the reason I say some, for some it's an interruption is because they don't want an interruption. They're perfectly fine with how they're living, what they're doing, and, and they're, they're fine with their dysfunctionality and the craziness, and they really don't want to be interrupted with Jesus. But truth be told, he came to intervene in our world, and he forever rocked it. And he's still rocking our world to this day. Do you know to this day he interrupted our calendar by his birth? He changed the whole way calendars work just because he was born. Do you know that, that we even label things prior to his birth and after? B.C., A.D. 
He interrupted the calendar. We have Easter's and, and Christmases. I know we changed the words. They're now spring breaks and winter celebrations. And, and I, well, isn't it interesting that winter celebration is still around his birth? I'm waiting for the ACLU to try to change our calendars and say somehow the calendars aren't right. But incarnation means he interrupted things. He stuck his nose in our business. I've never watched the show. I was asking, I think I asked Tyler about it. I don't know that he's watched it either. I think he, he knows that it's on, but it's an A&E show that's called Intervention. You know, it's one of those reality shows. And uh, I guess how it works is there's somebody who's got a severe problem and the family isn't going to take it anymore. And so they set all this up. Wouldn't you love this? On television. And they surprise this loved one by staging an intervention. And so uh, with his camera on them, they go in and they intervene. And in this intervention, there are certain stipulations and requirements and I suspect threats. And, and they either, I, most of the time, I guess, would go to a rehab of some kind or, or there was some sort of repercussion that would take place in their life because they got issues in their life. Now, hear me now. There are issues in their life that nobody in their family or around them can fix. And so they needed an intervention. I'm going to share this with you. You got issues. We all got issues. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. You know what all means? Yeah, man. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all got issues that needed intervention in our life. And so God, through an incarnation, intervenes in this world. He intervenes in our lives. And that's the really strange thing, how we wrestle so much with the Lord and we wrestle with Jesus and we wrestle with redemption and atonement and all the concepts that run around with it. We, we, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to deal with it, but it's the only way out of our guilt. It's the only way out of our problems. We need divine intervention. Now, I would suspect on a Wednesday night, probably the vast majority, if not everyone in the room in totality, probably as a testimony of that moment when you came to an awareness that what you were currently doing at that moment wasn't working. Do you know that 75% I think of getting saved is just acknowledging what you've been doing is not working. And to be able to just suck it up and say, it's not working, I need an intervention. And God intervenes. Your life. And, and for some of us, it has been a radical intervention. Amen. I mean, you've heard my stories. I mean, I was in my first year of college and I had blazed out of my first semester with a 1.69 grade average. Woof. I don't I know. It wasn't a two point scale either. It is a four point scale. Now, I probably had a 4.0 in pool playing and beer drinking. Now, I will say that. I was doing pretty well with that. 1.69. I was purposeless, aimless, just a mess. Divine intervention. Jesus showed up. That's what incarnation is. His incarnation demonstrates God intervenes in the affairs of men. Number five. His incarnation brings irritation. You know, incarnation doesn't give everyone the warm fuzzies. You may not know this, but sometimes Jesus rubs folks the wrong way. I always remind myself of that because it's really not me. Really. You know, after a while, you know, you kind of get that feeling. Maybe it's me. Maybe I rub people the wrong way. It's really not me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in me that rubs people the wrong way. 
Jesus, when he came into the world, I mean, Jesus wasn't even born long and he was rubbing people the wrong way. Think about that. He hadn't even been here on earth. I don't know, just a year or two. And it rubs hair the wrong way to where he's going to kill every male child under the age of three. Because already Jesus had rubbed somebody, a baby had rubbed somebody the wrong way. Is it not true? He rubbed the religious system the wrong way. Always keep that in mind. He rubs religious systems the wrong way. Some people like their religion. But Jesus says you're either going to like your religion or you're like me. And so we got to like him. Incarnation reveals that. It revealed how people are attached to their religion and they needed to be attached to him. Number six, his incarnation is an invitation. It's an invitation. Now think about this. When, when, when God, all the things I've just mentioned to you, God enfleshes himself in Jesus Christ. Now think about this. God is holy. He is perfect. He is airless. There's none like him. I mean, God, God is everything we are not. He is, he is exactly the opposite. And if, and if we're going to have a relationship with this God, and if he's this perfect and we're not, and if he demands holiness and he demands righteousness, that's the justice side of him, you understand. Yes, he's merciful and compassionate, but understand that just because he's merciful and compassionate, it does not trump his righteousness and holiness. They both exist. We always think one trumps the other one. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Mercy and compassion exist in fullness in the Godhead along with justice and holiness and righteousness. But the question is, all right, then how does all this work? Well, it works by Jesus showing up and being one who is fully man, thereby he has the ability to grab us by the hand and being fully God, thereby having the ability to grab a perfect, holy, righteous God by the hand. He's the only one that has the capacity to give of himself and become the bridge or to become the link that causes us to have a relationship again with God the Father. And that's the invitation. You see, we're not coming. This is really good. We're not coming to just this nameless God. Now, I know we use the term God and we'll use the term Lord, but I'm going to define this a little bit more clearly. Our God has a name and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door, I am the gate. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. we got to understand, our God is named. So when everyone looks at you and says, well, you know, all religions are worshiping really the same God, that's not true. Because God enfleshed himself in Jesus. That's the difference. So don't you for a moment think when someone says, well, you know, Yahweh and Allah... And, and they're all the same. No, they're not all the same. Jesus, God showed who he was in Christ. And, and because Christ comes in Revelation 3, verse 20, it's the famous verse that everybody ought to have memorized. And literally, he's coming to the church. It's to one of the churches where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him. And that's the invitation. He's knocking 
at heart's doors. And that's why that incarnation is so important. He came giving this invitation. That's why he looked at people and he said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why he said these words. He said, take of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It was his invitation. That's why he looked at people and he said, drop your nets and follow me. He's giving this invitation. That was a part of the incarnation. We see God is inviting us. To come and be reconciled to him. And then lastly, number seven, I put down here, his incarnation solicits the imagination. The imagination. Because God came to be with us. He shows us what is possible in life and models what it is we need to do to be victorious and miraculous. Now, here's the deal. This is, remember when I said his holiness and his righteousness Stand along with his mercy and compassion. Remember when I said that? One doesn't trump the other. You're following me. So they stand. They can exist together. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And this is the part that really, it's hard to get our natural, finite human brains around what I'm about ready to say. We, we always want his divinity to trump his humanity. Isn't that true? Sure it is. It's true. We see Jesus do something in the scriptures and, and we may not say it out loud, but for many of us, we look and we read that he, I don't know, he healed somebody. He cast out some devil walking on water. He's telling, you know, the elements of nature to be still. And we see him do this stuff. And there's something inside of us that goes, oh, yeah, of course, he's Jesus, you know. Jesus can do these things because he's 100 percent God. But, but here's the deal. He couldn't be a high priest if he wasn't 100% man too. Are you following me? In other words, in, you know, he, think about the things that Jesus did that his, that his divinity didn't enter into. Think about this for just a moment. In other words, when he was on the earth, he couldn't be everywhere at once, could he? No, because why? He was incarnated. So in other words, he was restricted in that regard. And when he went to a cross, he really died, didn't he? I mean, I mean, so you understand there are numerous things that I could point out that Je he, I, I imagine Jesus had to eat. I'm guessing he did. I mean, I'm not trying to be indelicate or certainly blasphemous, but I suspect if he ate, he probably had other bodily functions. He was 100% man. That's why when he looked at the disciples, he wasn't giving them a command that was undoable when he said the works that I do, what? You will do. In other words, he came down and he said, I'm going to do these things and I'm going to let you watch this and I'm going to solicit now your imagination. And I'm going to tell you that what you see happening right now or what eventually my disciples would read about through his word. I'm going to solicit something out of your imagination that will begin to demonstrate to you that what I do, you can do. I believe that. I believe, I believe that Jesus' miracles, listen, I, nobody will ever... We can argue it, but nobody will ever be, have the ultimate answer. You can, you can relegate that off to his divinity. But according to Philippians 2, it says that he poured out of his rights, though being equal with God, thought it not robbery to be such, became a servant. I honestly believe that when we see Jesus moving in the Scripture miraculously and supernaturally, I honestly believe that's being birthed out of the man part of him. That he had, he had, just, he had learned. The Scripture says, yes, Jesus learned. 
The Hebrew writer said that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. See, he had to come and be like us. See, I've often said, people have debated me on this one too. They said, do you think Jesus could have sinned? Well, let me say, first off, he didn't sin. Okay, that's important to hear. Because when we get to the point, could he have sinned? This is what I always say. Well, if he was tempted in all ways like we are tempted, then for temptation to be valid, then there must have to be the possibility of failure. Otherwise, it's a temptation. If I can't fail, then how could I be tempted? Are you following me? And so my view is, and then they'll always go, well, what would have happened if he did? Well, that's a dumb question. Because he didn't. So I don't have to answer that question. He didn't do that. And so he, he solicits our imagination and says, yes, there is a victory that you can have and a triumph that you can have in your life that I will demonstrate to you. And when I read that in the scripture and realize that that life awaits me if I pursue God and seek his ways and am obedient and walk in the light and, 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 and I pursue after him, it sparks my imagination. Life can be different because he came to be with us. Isn't that good news? See, that's why that's all good news. See, that's why you'd say, well, well I need to go learn about incarnation. Well, the reason you need to understand incarnation is because you, you couldn't live victoriously unless you understood exactly why God did what he did and how he did it. Amen. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about Jesus demonstrating who God is. And listen, when I start quoting this stuff, it's cool. The scripture says this. It says that because of Jesus and because he was an heir, we've become. Oh, you've read that, too. We've become joint heirs with him. Which means when I lay hold of him, in fact, Paul would go on to say that I am seated with Christ where in heavenly places. In other words, I can take a spot right next to him. In other words, he came and incarnated himself to be like me so that I could step up and be seated with him and be just like him. That's good news. That's Christmas. Amen. All right. Next week, we're going to go through this a little bit further. Praise God. Stand up, will you? And we're going to pray.